Well, when we compare our lives to those of the early followers of Jesus, which we see in the book of Acts, right? Which is the book we're studying right now. When we compare our lives to their lives, there seem to be a thousand differences, right? They lived 2,000 years ago, and the world was a different place. Since then, the Roman Empire that was ruling most of the known world at the time has fallen. Uh, Others have arisen in their place. We think of the British Empire, which rose and fell more than a thousand years after the Roman Empire. You and I live on a continent that most people in the book of Acts probably didn't even know existed. Certainly none of them had been there or been here. Uh, There have been developments in medicine, technology, travel, access to information. Even the food we eat in many ways is radically different than what they experienced. But in the grand scheme, these differences are not that significant. Empires rise and fall, but it is the kingdom of God that remains forever. Technology makes things like travel and communication and access to information faster and easier, but we still have all the same normal human limitations of being in only one place at one time and only being able to handle so much information. So what is more significant than all the differences is what we have in common with these early followers of Jesus. Like them, we are living between the times, between Jesus' ascension into heaven and his return. And that means also, like them, we are living in a time when the nations are raging, but Jesus is reigning. And that means we have every reason to be encouraged and confident and full of hope. So let me draw your attention this morning to Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. I'm going to read those verses for us, and then we'll talk about their meaning and significance. Jesus has just told his disciples that the Holy Spirit is about to come upon them, and that when the Spirit comes upon them, he's going to empower them to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then this is what happens next, verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now the story that we're being told here is a story that we don't talk about often enough. We talk a lot about Jesus' death on the cross, as we should. We talk a lot about his resurrection on the third day, as we should. But we don't talk as much about what happened 
next. Luke tells us the story here of how Jesus, after spending about 40 days with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom, showing them that he had really risen from the dead, letting them touch him and watch him eat and know that he was really and truly alive. After 40 days of that, Luke tells us that Jesus ascended into heaven. And there's a few reasons why that's important for us to know and why it was important for him to do that. Jesus could have just stopped showing up, right? He could have just disappeared, so to speak. He didn't have to do this in front of witnesses to, uh, to ascend right into heaven in front of all of his disciples. But if he just disappeared, if he just stopped showing up, then his disciples probably would have been looking around every corner, waking up every morning, thinking, is he going to show up again today? What's going to happen next? But Jesus ascended into heaven in part to give a definite ending point to his earthly ministry, which leads us to a new season, a new era, where the Spirit of God comes to dwell inside of all those who belong to Jesus. So there's a transition here from the Son's presence, Jesus' presence, to the Spirit's presence. Now that doesn't mean the Spirit wasn't here before. He was. It doesn't mean Jesus is totally absent. He's not. But He is physically Right, ascended into heaven. He's spiritually present with us, but he's no longer physically present like he was with his disciples. And Jesus told his disciples before his death that the Spirit's presence was going to change right after his death and resurrection. In John 14, Jesus told them, I will ask the Father, and he will give you Another helper. So Jesus has been their helper, but Jesus is going to leave. And now the Father is going to give another helper, Jesus says, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you. So it's not like he hasn't been here. But Jesus says he will be in you. And from the day of Pentecost on, in Acts chapter 2, when Jesus does pour out the Spirit on his disciples, from the day of Pentecost on, every person who believes in Jesus has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, empowering us for the mission and ministry that God has called us to. That's true of us. So Jesus says at that time, he will be in you. But now we can say he is in you. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, the spirit of God dwells inside of you. Jesus also said in John 16, he said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
I imagine when the disciples first heard that, they were a bit mystified. What could possibly be better than Jesus being here with us? This is what we've been waiting for, for centuries, for the Messiah to come. And now he's here, and he's only been publicly ministering to people for like three years. And in the grand scheme of things, that feels like a blip on the radar. Just a a dot on the timeline. And now he's leaving? Why? How can that be good? How can that be better? Jesus tells them, when I'm gone, the Spirit of God himself is going to dwell inside of each one of you. And that's going to be better than me being physically present. Because when Jesus was physically present, he was God, but he could, because he'd taken on flesh and blood, he was only in one place at one time as man, right? But when he leaves and pours out the Spirit, now the Spirit can dwell inside each and every one of us. Not only that, not only is there this transition from Jesus' presence to the Spirit's presence, but this also, Jesus' ascension also has something to do with our commission, with the mission that he gave us. And I hadn't really thought about this until I was looking at a commentary where a couple of scholars were interacting and one of them says essentially this. He says, this event, right, with Jesus ascending into heaven, is like the passing of the mantle from Elijah to Elisha. Remember this story? So Elijah the prophet, mighty, powerful prophet. He had Elisha, who was sort of his, you know, guy that he was mentoring, right? Uh, his, his disciple, as it were. And there came a day when Elijah was caught up into heaven. Right? There was a whirlwind and chariots of fire, right? And Elijah was caught up into heaven, into God's presence. And Elisha had asked before that moment right, that he might receive a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And so when Elisha sort of succeeds Elisha, Elijah. Elijah is caught up into heaven, and Elisha literally takes up Elijah's mantle, right? His cloak. And now Elisha begins to fulfill, uh, in a new way, the same kind of ministry that Elijah had. Not only are their names similar, which is a little confusing, right? But also their ministries are very similar. If you read their stories, they did a lot of the same things. And so what this Bible teacher is saying is Jesus ascending into heaven and leaving his disciples with a mission, a ministry, as well as with the Spirit, not just a Spirit, right? But the Spirit of God is a lot like Elisha taking up the mantle of Elijah. Now it's not exactly the same, of course, but there are enough similarities there for it to help us think about the significance of this. The disciples are not repeating Jesus' ministry, but in many ways they are echoing it and extending it. Not by their own power, but by the power of Christ that dwells in them now through the Holy Spirit. So in the book of Acts, we're going to see them do the kinds of things that Jesus did. They're going to heal people. They're going to do miraculous things. Why? Because Jesus, though he has ascended into heaven, is still at work on the earth through his people. 
And that's still true today. Jesus is not physically present, but the Spirit dwells in us. And by the power of the Spirit, the people of God continue to not only bear witness to Jesus, but also extend His work into the world by loving and showing mercy and and speaking truth like Jesus did. Jesus' work was unique and unrepeatable. But the work of the disciples and the work of the church is meant to bear the imprint of Christ upon it. And our message is to be Christ Himself. Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ ascended, and Christ coming again. In other words, the times have changed, but the mission has not. Jesus has ascended, Jesus has sent the Spirit, so that we might continue to bear witness to Him throughout the world. That's our mission. Now, when Jesus ascended into heaven, where did He go? Heaven's a big place, right? What is He doing up there? Well, we're not told in this particular passage, but the Bible does tell us in multiple places and makes it really clear and tells us how important this is. So we're going to go ahead and dig into it, even though it's not in this verse. It's not in this verse because... Luke is telling us what happened from the perspective of the disciples. They're standing with Jesus. They see Jesus ascend into heaven. Then a cloud takes him out of their sight, and he's gone. Where did he go? Well, later, Peter is going to tell us in his sermon in Acts chapter 2, verses 33 and 35. He says, he's telling people about Jesus, and he's explaining what's going on. And he says, being therefore exalted, so lifted up to a high position, right, and honored, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, so that's where he is, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So Jesus is the one who sent the Holy Spirit, who's enabled the disciples to speak in all these different languages in Acts 2. And then he says this, he says, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, and he quotes one of David's psalms, Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So here's what Peter is saying is going on. After Jesus ascended into heaven, he was seated. He took his seat on his throne at God's right hand. So we call this his Session. It's not a word we use a whole lot, but you use it in court. When the judge comes in and sits down, then court is in session. This is Jesus' session. He is seated in heaven at God's right hand, and this fulfills prophecy. The Old Testament talked about this, that Jesus, the Messiah, would be uh, in heaven at God's right hand and what would be happening while he's sitting at God's right hand is that God would be making all of his enemies his footstool. In other words, his enemies would be subdued under him so that he would reign as king. So all these things are tied together. Jesus has been exalted. He's been raised up to a high position. He has ascended into heaven and he is seated at God's right hand and all his enemies are being subdued. Part of what this means is that Jesus, in being exalted, has also been 
vindicated. There is no question mark over Jesus' words and works. Instead, there is an exclamation mark. By raising him up, not only from the dead, but also into heaven and giving him this position of prominence at the Father's right hand, what the Father has done is declared loudly and clearly that everything Jesus said was true and everything Jesus accomplished was successful. We don't have to wonder, did his sacrifice, like was that enough? Did God accept it? Yeah, he did. How do we know? Because God raised him from the dead and then raised him up to his right hand. Is Jesus really who he says he is? Is he really the son of God? Is he really the Messiah? Is he really the one that the father has entrusted all judgment to? Is he really the one that the father sent out of love for the world to save those who would trust in him? Yes, he is. How do we know? Because the father raised him from the dead and then raised him up to his right hand. There's an exclamation mark after everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did. No question marks. That's what I mean when I say that Jesus' ascension and session is meant to give us confidence, courage, and assurance. God does not want us to be uncertain about what Jesus accomplished. He wants us to know that he did everything he was sent to do. And that everything he said, we can take, take to the bank because it's true. His session also indicates that his saving work is finished. It is complete. We see this most clearly in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 It says, after making purification for sin, so after he died in order to cleanse us from our sin, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What is significant about that? What is significant about him sitting down after he had offered himself in sacrifice to cleanse our sins. Well, later in Hebrews 10, it, it explains this for us. It says, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Here's the significance of Jesus being seated at God's right hand. You don't sit down until your work is done. Right? You ever, like when you were learning to work, when you were growing up, anybody ever say to you, hey, why are you sitting down? You're not done yet. You don't sit down until you're done. Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand because his work of salvation is done. Everything necessary in order for us to be cleansed from our sin and to be righteous in God's sight, to one day be raised from the dead, to live in his presence forever, Jesus has finished all of that. That's why he's seated. Now, is he still at work? Yeah, he's he's ruling the universe. He's at work in our lives. But his work of salvation is finished. It is complete. There's nothing he needs to add to it, and there's certainly nothing we need to add to it. He has done it all once and for all, and all we have to do 
is trust Him. All we have to do is repent of our sin. That just means to turn away from it and turn to Him. Acknowledge our sin. Say, we need you to save us and trust Him. That, that's all. He did all the work. It also means that He is reigning right now in heaven over the whole universe as King. That passage in Hebrews I was just reading ends by saying that after he sat down, it says he's waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Again, talking about that prophecy from Psalm 110. And we know that heaven is God's throne. Stephen's going to say that later in Acts chapter 7. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah where God says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? So when Jesus ascends into heaven, he's ascending into God's throne room. And when he sits down at God's right hand, he is taking his place upon his throne. Paul tells us the significance of this in Ephesians chapter 1. Starting in verse 20, where he says, God raised him from the dead. So God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Okay, so that's what we've been hearing over and over. Here's what Paul has to say about the significance of that. He's seated at the, God's right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What the rest of the book of Ephesians makes clear is that those powers and rulers that he's talking about, that Jesus is reigning over, they're not just earthly powers. They're also cosmic powers. The, the dark forces that Paul says we wrestle against in, in Ephesians 6. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against these you know, powers of darkness, these cosmic forces, right? Um, Satan and demons. And all that. Those are they're real, right? And we're in a real battle, but we don't need to be afraid, we don't need to be intimidated, we don't need to worry, because Jesus has been exalted above them, they have been put under his feet, and he is in absolute control. Paul said that not only has he been exalted to this high position, and given this great rule, But he says he's put all things under his feet and given him as head, as ruler over all things to the church. That's us. So he's not only our savior, he's also our king. And he's not only our king, he's reigning over everything and everyone. So the one who loved you and saved you also reigns for you, for your benefit, for your Good. That's good news for us. That Jesus reigns over all. That those who are our enemies are under his rule and under his feet. And so we have no reason to fear them.
Finally, in Acts, back in Acts chapter 1, not only did Jesus ascend, but after he was taken up into heaven and, and the disciples couldn't see him anymore behind that cloud, they're there gazing up into heaven and it says two men who were angels in the appearance of men stood by them in white robes, it says, and said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? That's not where they're supposed to be. You know, stand there and just wonder what happened or stand there and wait for Jesus to come back. They've got work to do, right? But they also say, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The same Jesus The God-man, the Messiah, the Savior, he is not going to stay away. He has departed, but he is going to come back. This same Jesus, they say, will return. And he's going to return in the same way that they saw him go. His return is going to be real. It's going to be visible. It's going to be physical. He's going to return as the exalted and reigning Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is a promise. They don't say, you know, he'll probably be back. We think he's going to be back. I heard a rumor he might come back. They say he will come in the same way as you saw him go. We can bank on that, that Jesus will return. And while we wait, just like the apostles waited, just like the early Christians waited, just like Christians have been waiting for nearly 2,000 years. We can wait with confidence, just like they did. We have reason to be encouraged, just as they were, because we know not only who our Savior is, we know who the King is. and We know where He is, enthroned in heaven at God's right hand. And we know He has sent His own Spirit to dwell in us, and empower us, and one day he will return to us, for us. And to that, we can only say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.